last week um, when we shared about the paralytic there um, waiting to be able to step into the pool, I know that that was a word that God was giving us. Folks, we've been blessed to have our Savior come stand beside us. We don't have to wait for an angel to stir the pool. Hallelujah. We just need to recognize who he is and that he's with us. But God's put something else on my heart today. We're going to go to, to Acts chapter 19, and I want to share something with you. This may seem like an unusual, an unusual uh, question to ask or an unusual thing for us to look at, knowing where we've been in the Lord. But I feel like there's a question that needs to go out to the body of Christ again for refreshing and for a refocus. And so let's take this journey together this morning. Uh, I know that it's intentional on the part of the Lord. It seems like I've been saying that a lot today. But I'm excited about what God is, is purposing for us. It says in verse 1, While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. And I'm just going to clarify for those who don't know already, but I am reading out of the New Living Translation. That's been a version that I've been using this year. So this may sound different than your Bible. I'm in the New Living Translation. So Paul finds several believers in Corinth. And then he asks this question, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Isn't that an interesting response? And it says that they were believers. And then he says, but what baptism did you experience then? And they replied, the baptism of John. And Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were 12 men in all that had this experience. Um, part of my early journey in the faith, when I was just a teenager, because I had an experience with the Lord when I was eight or nine years old. I've gotten old enough now that I can't even quite remember how old I was. <clears throat> but about eight or nine years old where after watching a fire and brimstone movie, for those who have been around, <laughs> you may remember the movie Thief in the Night. Did y'all remember that? Oh my goodness gracious. I, I hit the altar. I was already a believer, but I wasn't leaving anything to chance after that night. So I about this area at a church down in Franklin Springs, Georgia, I got down on the altar and I began to cry and pray and seek the Lord. But I was a believer. I, I began seeking the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that night. I really started praying about that and had an encounter with the Lord that changed my life. And, uh, but when I went as a teenager to a Christian school and I was living on campus over in Africa, a Christian boarding school, about 400 students there, but people from all different denominations and all different walks of life there was a lot of people there who loved the Lord but didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some had some pretty strong opinions about it that I became the recipient of their strong opinions. And it really made me have to 
seek for myself to try to find an understanding. And out here I am, this young buck in school, away from home, and I'm, I'm seeking God. And there was a, a turning point in my life. And, and I don't know what your experiences are. I know some of you grew up in the church. Some of you did not. But it became a place to where I had lived in this for so long, but I, it, it, had, it had all been an experiential thing, and I believed it because my mom and dad believed it, and I experienced it in church and things like that. And even though I knew that my experience was real, I had to come to a biblical understanding of it. I needed to know why I believed it. I needed to know... So what does the scripture have to say about this, and how can I give a true testimony of it? Now, um, God was great. God, God really blessed me, because I remember being in a Bible class, and the teacher's up there teaching away, and he says, now, and we, you know, we, we went through the Acts chapter 2 about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people speaking in tongues in the upper room and everything like that, and, and he very smoothly went through all that, and then he followed with, but that was you know, a one-time thing, and that doesn't happen anymore. And here I am, I'm about 16 years of age at that time, sitting in class, and I started looking around, and everybody was either distracted or hiding. There were other Pentecostals in there, and I sheepishly kind of raised my hand and just said, um, Sir? <laughs> and he said, Yes. I said, um, I said, I just need to say one thing. I said, I have spoken in tongues, and I do speak in tongues. I'm sorry, but I can't tell you where the scriptures are because I don't know. I said, but I'll find them. And so it became a passionate journey for me to try to understand why do I believe what I believe and what are the grounds for it? Is it really valid or is it just something that happened in church and, you know, was it just a church experience, church thing? Was I caught up in something or was it really a grounding thing? And so I had to have an understanding of that. And there was a lot of tears, a lot of, but God was faithful in guiding me through that process. And if you are, have you, if you've ever studied it out, you'll understand that that speaking in tongues was not just a one-time event in Scripture. There was at least five times in the books of Acts where it talks about people coming to a place where there was a, a, a speaking in tongues. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in such a way that they spoke in tongues. And we're not going to take time to look at all that today, but I want us to dig into this Scripture just a little bit. Number one, I have to preface this because twice the Holy Spirit's brought me back to it. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just about speaking in tongues. And the Holy Spirit is not tongues. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God as the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. It is, and, and my brain, I'm, this is... I've been reading a book on theology, and this is not an area I've been reading yet, but my brain is trying to walk the tightrope to make sure I don't say this wrong. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all exist at the same time in the same, I can't say space because they don't live in space, they're beyond time and space, but they all exist as equals and as one. Now, if I could stand up here and completely explain to, explain to our brains how the Trinity works... It's beyond our comprehension because God is infinite and we're finite. We have limitations. But before there was time and space and matter, there was God. From the beginning and all the way to the end, there will be God. God's brought us into this thing with him and we will continue to live with God for eternity. That's amazing. 
But the Holy Spirit is not an experience. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's a being. And Jesus in, in considered the encounter with the Holy Spirit where he comes to not just dwell around us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit moved upon people. He worked through people. He accomplished things. The first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Scripture was there when all of creation was just a waste thing. It says the, the Spirit of God brooded over creation, the unformed things. There was an expectancy about the Holy Spirit, about that transformation that was going to be coming. And folks, if you can get a hold of it, I, 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 my sense is this, that the Holy Spirit still has that same personality where over the transitions and the changes that need to happen in our life and the things that God intends for us that have not yet appeared, the Holy Spirit is still right there brooding over our lives and wanting to come alongside us, not just to, to be with us, but to help us transition from where we are into what God's intentions are. So he's working in us and around us, and he's doing these things, both calling us to salvation, and then after salvation, his intention, Jesus says, is not that he just be with you, but he lives in you. We become, isn't that amazing? That we become the habitation of the Holy One. He comes to dwell inside us. And it's not that he's just homeless looking for a place to be. He loves us that much. There's things that he desires to accomplish for us, and there's things that he needs to accomplish through us. But the body of Christ at large has missed some things here, and we need to go back and look at this passage, if you will. So the interesting thing here is it says that when, when and we know because the Scripture tells us that there were 12 believers here that Paul came upon. Now, what did they believe? It says that they were believers. These were, it doesn't say whether they were Jew or Gentile, but it says that they were believers. But, but Paul asks an unusual question of them. Just having met these believers, what prompted the question in his, his mind? And it says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And this is a question that, that is a very valid question for believers today. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Scripture says that people can't even say Jesus is Lord without having the Holy Spirit in, in, a, in a way, without having an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's a part of being a believer, that somehow in our sinful state, when we were separated from God, churched or unchurched, that we have a process that goes on within us that draws us to a place where we realize that we need to accept Jesus as our Savior. And we're drawn to that place. That's the Holy Spirit working in our life, brooding over that unformed part of us and pulling us to a place of relationship with Christ. And so even to come to a place of salvation means that we've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit as he drew us to that point. These people had had this experience, but there was something more. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And it says, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We know we're blessed, and I've talked about this before, but we're blessed that we've got the Scripture. 
There's people in the earth today that are believers and don't even have a copy of the word. But folks, remember that even though, in, at least in the synagogue, they had the Old Testament that the scriptures put together the way we have it was not even available to people until about the year 300. So there were letters. These letters that we have here were vitally important to the church. The apostles and the writers would send a letter to encourage a church, to instruct a church, to give them a deeper understanding of some things, and at times to correct them, oftentimes to correct them for things that they were going off. So how did they know how to serve the Lord? What did they do for instruction? How do you live for the Lord without having the Word of God? Number one, the fellowship of the believers was really important because you're there to encourage, to strengthen, to correct when necessary, but to encourage one another in the faith. And if somebody had heard something from a teacher or a preacher or one of the ministers going around, they could share it with one another and they could take the truth that they had received and share it with everybody. But folks, I'm going to propose to you something else. How much more vital is a relationship with the Holy Spirit in that situation? That you, those of you who are walking with the Lord and the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, you know that you get a prompt from the Holy Spirit to do something and you don't always understand why, but you find out later on that it was God definitely guiding and directing you and leading you into something. How much more important for the early church? We've got YouTube <laughs> that we can go to to hear the Word of God. We can turn on the TV and hear the Word of God. We can pick up the Bible and read for ourselves. They didn't have that available to them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The reality is that in order to be saved, yes, they had to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit in order to be saved. But they didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. They didn't know there was a name. And so he inquired about them and said, well, what baptism did you experience? And they replied and said, the baptism of John. Now, what was the baptism of John? Do you remember John's message? What was his message? Repent and, and repent and what? Be baptized. Why? Because the, you, you had it, because the kingdom of God is at hand, which really means it's right here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. I don't really feel the urge to, to focus on repentance. I think we've got, most everybody here has got that down. It means turn away from whatever it is that you're doing that's displeasing to God. It's not just say I'm sorry and go back out and do the same thing again. But it's a life transition. It's a transformation of life. Turn away from that thing and turn, start doing the right thing. See, the whole message here, what's going on in Israel at that time it's hard for me not to talk about baptism when, I'm, when, I'm, when I hit this because it's something that, that touches me so deeply. But baptism was in, in the Hebrew culture was not a normal thing for a Jewish person. They had ritual washings, but Jewish people were not baptized in that way. They had cleansings, they had... But really it was a purification for them to continue with their devotion, d devotion to the Lord but baptism was something that was done for people who were wanting to convert from being a non-Jew, people who were proselytes. They were going from being outside of the, of the family of God and coming to be a part of the people of God. 
And so after instruction in the, in the ways of the law and things like that, they would come through a process where they would be accepted. And this really developed during the intertestamental period. That's my large word for the day. I'll try to keep it simpler than that. The intertestamental period was in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The 400 years there of silence. No word from the Lord during that time. During that time when people would come and want to be a part of the Jewish faith, People who were Gentiles, they would take them through a pros process of proselytization. That was a big word. Um, and they would, they would be converted to Judaism, but at the climax of that, they would take them through a pool where they would actually be dunked into the water. They would actually bow down themselves, and someone would be there to make sure that all their hair and everything went under the water. And when they came up out of the pool, they were addressed with a new name. They were given a whole new identity. They were a a new creation. They were now a part of the house of Israel. They were included and not separate from the house of God. But that concept was only for Gentiles who were coming to become a Jew. It was not for a Jew making a dedication to God. So when, when after these 400 years of silence, when a voice comes crying in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord, and his voice is saying to the Jewish people, you Jewish people, you need to repent. You need to change your ways. You need to turn from your unrighteousness. And you need to be baptized. It was a radical thought process for the Jewish people to think about them being baptized. So the Jews were coming in multitudes Praise God for hunger. But they came in multitudes and they would dunk themselves into the water and, and with, with John the Baptist, they're baptizing them and they would be come out with a fresh dedication to God. But what was their mindset? Their mindset was repentance. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And their concept of the kingdom of God was that God is going to restore Israel politically and make Israel the prominent nation in the earth, that they would be the people of God, but really that Israel was the focus. Right? Take my word for it? Thank you. So they replied that they had received the baptism of John. Now John spoke about Jesus. He taught about Jesus, and he taught about repentance in the kingdom of God. These believers had received that baptism, but they had not yet known the fulfillment that came through Jesus. There's a, a, a vast difference in a baptism of repentance and a baptism into the Lord Jesus. Why? I'll tell you why. Thank you for answer, asking. <laughs> There's two things. One is, in the old, the old school, old school baptism, it's just repentance. It's make it right with God. There is a kingdom of God. And you need to line up and come into compliance with God's law, God's kingdom. You need to become submissive to the law of God. So you need to be baptized. But in the new covenant, it's not just a compliance to an old... An, it, Jesus is Savior and he's Lord. That's right. It requires death, but... There's been a death that preceded our death, and it was Jesus who was resurrected. We weren't just asked to come and repent and become compliant. Folks, it's so much greater than that. We were joined to the purposes of God. We were called to be a part of the family and to work as a part of God's kingdom in the earth.
There's an equipping that comes with that call. There's churches, oh Lord, there's churches all around our nation that will call people to the altar and they'll call them to an, an altar of repentance. And within their, their scope and within their understanding, yes, they're calling them to Jesus, but they are not teaching the difference between the lordship of Jesus Christ. They're really calling them to repentance and compliance to God's kingdom, but they're not calling to their place and their purpose in the kingdom of God and the equipping that comes along with that. You know what my prayer has been? God, restore power to your church. Not for men to use it for their own means, but God, there are things that have to be accomplished in this earth that will never come about with us just psychoanalyzing people and without us just trying to be persuasive in our words. There's got to be a demonstration of the power of God. What needs to happen in the move of God that needs to come like a wave wrapping around this earth has got to come by a demonstration of the lordship and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And until we as the body of Christ rediscover the power that God has put inside of us, we, with good intention, will be powerless to accomplish what God intended through us. So we can get out there and tell people to repent all day long. And it's good for them to come to a relationship with the Lord. But did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believed, what was there about the lives of these believers? Even though they'd been baptized, even though they'd come, apparently it says they're believers, so I'm not doubting the fact that they didn't know about Jesus. But there was something missing that prompted Paul to ask that question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? There was some dynamic that needed to be put in place in their life that he recognized when he came in contact with us. Body of Christ, let me ask you today. Do we need to revisit this question in the body of Christ today? Have we become so familiar or perhaps complacent? And I don't even want to go to the complacent, but I'm just going to say, have we become so familiar with the things of the kingdom of God and the life of the Spirit to where we are, have become powerless in our effectiveness for the Lord? I want that question to go deep down because it's been going deep down inside of me. I think we need to revisit it. Every fire needs to be stirred. The coals that sit there for a while become ashy. How long has it been since your fire has been stirred? We need to understand the crucial place that, that we stand in, the crucial place that we have in the economy of God, in the purpose and plan of God. Folks, we are stewards of this generation. If we don't carry the, the, the torch well, if we don't do our part, if we don't accomplish what God placed us here to do, are we going to uh, uh, pass an anemic faith onto the next generation? Are they seeing something inside of us that's distinct and distinctly of God to the degree that they will hunger for it. Is it all just talk? Is it all just knowledge? Or is there a power of God demonstrated in our life? You know what's interesting? If you go, I'm, I'm not going to take the time to go there, but when you go to Genesis chapter 1, it starts out and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Do you know the Bible's got bookends? And then Revelation chapter 20, 21, look, I know that's not the very last chapter. 22 is the last chapter. I mean, Revelation chapter 22, coming down to the end, the other bookend said, so in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 21 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and earth had, passed, had disappeared or passed away. The sea was also gone, and I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death and no more sorrow nor crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And he said, Write this down, for what I'm telling you is trustworthy and true. There's bookends to time. There's bookends to the human existence. There's bookends to God's purpose and plan in the earth. Everything that he did from Genesis 1-1 through this passage is a transitional point in creation. God set things in motion, but he's setting it in motion for an agenda. The time, that, the, the time of man in the earth, the way we know it now, has an end. God's intention from the beginning has always been that he dwell among his people. And folks, when history as we know it are, is wrapped up and done, the clock may, I don't know if the clock will, will keep ticking in eternity, but we'll be in the presence of the Almighty. Whatever that existence looks like, it's more than we can conceive. But everything that's going on right now is just God's gathering of those who will be with him throughout eternity. Unless we do what he's called us to do, Chris, unless we do what he's called us to do, there will be people that will not be there. So we've got to be intentional, Glenda, about reaching the lost. Folks, hell is real. In the body of Christ, we need to remember that, that we've got loved ones that need to know about Jesus. Folks, we, we have to share what we have heard. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to be able to strengthen what we say, to fortify what we say, to make what we say pierce to the heart. Not because we're brutal, but because truth sticks. It's hard to shake it off when someone speaks truth to you. The real thing will stay in somebody's heart because it awakens something on the inside. But we've got a limited amount of time Everything with regards to earth and the creation as we know it has a limited amount of time. It will come to an end. And God will make things new. I look forward to the day, but folks, I don't want anyone to be left out. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And Paul says in verse 4, John's baptism.